We're picking up where Nella left off a few moments ago in the reading of the Word in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Sure, by now you've noticed in your order of service that in the next two hours, our worship service at 9.30 and again at 11, will ordain and install, actually install, uh, three ministers for our church. And this is, of course, an installation Sunday, and this is an installation sermon. And it's titled, After Breakfast, because here the Lord deals with one of his disciples, Simon Peter. You remember that Simon Peter had, just a few weeks earlier, probably about a month or so, denied the Lord three times, gathered around a fire in the presence of the Lord's enemies in the courtyard of the high priest, Peter swore and denied that he even knew Jesus. And as dawn was breaking, the rooster crowed, and Peter had denied Jesus three times. Now at the break of dawn, around a fire that Jesus himself had built, in the presence of the disciples, seven of them, Peter is called upon by the Lord to affirm his love and his devotion three times. And in this little exercise, Peter is restored. There is nothing like the feeling of being restored by the Lord. Have you ever lost your first love? Have you ever walked away from him? Have you ever turned your back on him and denied him and ignored him? Have you ever wished him away? Have you ever failed to defend him and speak up for him in his hour 
Have you sinned grievously against the Lord and His mercy and His grace? Have you trampled underfoot the blood that He poured out on your behalf? If you have, and I have, you've done just what Peter did. And one of the things that I remember about that story is that after Peter did it, he went out and wept. Those were the tears of remorse and regret. Oh, I pray and I believe those were the tears of repentance. Peter was sorrowful and vexed that he had denied the Lord, that he had sinned against his master. And now out here on this occasion, the Lord puts the grill to him. (laughs) The Lord builds a fire to grill fish, but he grills Peter. And he says, do you love me more than these? Now the, the commentators say more than these other disciples. I think maybe that might have been the import of the question. You remember Peter bragged at the Last Supper that he loved the Lord more than any of them and he would be more devoted and he, and he bragged. So now in the presence of these other men, Nathaniel and uh, who was it? Thomas, the sons of Zebedee, James and John and two other disciples, which I believe are Andrew and Philip. I think I can demonstrate that to you, but the text doesn't say in the presence of these men, He says, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. You know I love you. And he was restored. Because the Lord tells him what his mission was. He was not just an occupying office as an elder or a bishop or an apostle. But he was to do a job. He was to feed the lambs, the little ones, the tender ones. He was to tend to the sheep. That means you lead and you protect and you guard the sheep. It was to feed the sheep. And that's the, that's the duties of the bishop. That's the duties of the elder. Now there's a little background to this story that I just have to tell and take a moment because it really sets up something beautiful and Bursting in my office, unannounced and unsummoned, was Dr. Mark Fulmer last Monday, I think it was, or Wednesday, one day this past week. And he said, he walked in and said, you know what I like about that passage, Ron? And I said, what? (laughs) He knew the passage just about the time I did. He said, it's because in this particular story, in this passage here that tells the story of Jesus with these disciples on the seashore there in the wee hours of the morning before dawn, Things are back to normal. And if you look at the story, that's it. They're back to normal. First of all, the disciples had gone back fishing. For the most part, that was their trade. I don't know if it was economic concerns, financial concerns, or or what it was, but that's where Jesus had found them in the first place. And it asked them the questions that were needed to be asked, and then, summoned them and invited them to follow him. Now they were right back to square one. They were right back where they were on the Sea of Galilee, fishing, plying their trade. Things were also back to normal because Jesus is building a fire. 
He's doing the work building the fire in the damp of the dew. It's not easy to build a fire. He's doing it the normal way. He's not calling fire down from heaven. He's not performing a miracle. He's building a fire. And he is cooking on that fire fish and bread. He's not doing what he had done earlier in fish and bread on the mountains. In fact, on the mountainside on this very lake, Jesus had fish and bread and fed 5,000. But now he's back to the normal, usual way to prepare breakfast. And also in this passage, is this the gist of it, Mark? Is this kind of what... Also in this passage, you notice, you remember Peter was out in the boat. And when they saw the figure about a hundred yards away on the shore, it was John who recognized Jesus. And they had been struggling with Jesus' identity now for several weeks because this is the resurrected Lord. This is the one that had appeared to him in the upper room the night of the resurrection morning. This is the one that had appeared later and then it appeared to him from time to time. And they were trying to come to terms with Jesus in his resurrected, glorified body. And there's this man on the shore frying fish. And John recognizes it as the Lord. And when he identifies Jesus, just like they did at the tomb. You remember at the tomb? It was Peter and John that raced each other to get to the tomb. When they got there, Peter got there first. I just think Peter was a strapping athletic guy. In fact, he pulled a whole load of fishing by himself, the text said, from the the lake. Had a net full of fish. Peter got there first, but it was John that went in and saw the Lord. John has a way of seeing the Lord. Oh, if we could just get eyes to see the Lord. That's what the resurrection of Christ brings to our soul. It awakens us and quickens us to a new sight and a new insight. To be able to see the Lord. To see the Lord in the darkness. To see the Lord in the clouds and the shadows of life. To see the Lord in the difficulties of life and to see the Lord in the mundane, everyday, normal, usual processes and events and activities of life. John spots him. But it's Peter that jumps out of the boat, leaps out of the boat. It's interesting he says that he was naked. I don't think it was uh, exactly that, but he was stripped down for, for work in just his under tunic. And whenever he prepares to go to shore, which doesn't take long, he realizes he needs the proper attire when he gets there. And he does, in the same word he's used, he girds up his outer garment, straps it on him so he can free his legs for, for swimming and for getting to the shore. And this is the same uh, term that's used when Jesus did that when he washed the disciples' feet. He girded up his his outer garment. Aren't we used to Peter jumping out of a boat and walking on the water? (laughs) Isn't that what Peter does when he sees the Lord? He walks on the water? No, no. He's back to the usual. He's back to the normal. He's back to live where we live every day. 
He swims to the Lord. The normal, usual, ordinary, mundane way of getting there. And that's where the Lord meets His disciples at this time. In His resurrected glory, having accomplished His work, having endured the cross, having laid in the tomb, having emerged victorious over death, He comes right back to where they live. And he's with them at this wee hour of the morning. And that's where Jesus is right now. He's in the mundane. He's in the ordinary. He's in the usual parts of our lives. But he's there as the risen Lord. And all he's going to ask you is, do you love me? Some commentators have talked about how two different words for love, the word phileo and the word agape, are used. And I think most of the commentators come to the conclusion that the nuances of the meaning and the various uh, connotations are hard to detect. And so basically Jesus is asking the same question. Now, Peter always uses the same word for love. But that's the question. Do you love me? Do you have with the Lord... A relationship. Are you one who've been restored? You may have denied. You may have strayed. You may have sinned. But have you heard the forgiving voice of Christ saying, follow me? Follow me. Now, in the moment we have left, if, if I were preaching the installation service, I would take you one place. Since I'm not preaching the service, I'm going to take you anyway. And it's to Peter's first letter. When Peter wrote years later, probably about 25 years later, when Peter writes his letter to the elders and to the churches, notice what he says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Here's Peter's credentials. He was not installed as Pope, but he was given a special place in the apostolic band. And the Lord called upon him to be a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter witnessed the crucifixion of Christ through tear-filled eyes as he wept, having denied the Lord. And now tears of joy streamed down his face as he realized not only was he a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That's your starting and stopping place right there. If you're, let's pretend there's a preacher down here, that I'm a young preacher that we're, we're installing. That's it right there. You start with your personal relationship with Christ. If you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, you can't lead anyone else to one. If you haven't walked with the Lord, you can't take anybody else a single step down the path of walking with the Lord. If you don't know the Lord in many, many facets, His suffering 
and on the other extreme, His glory. If you've not been a partaker of the divine nature as Christ has imparted it to you through the new birth, if you're not seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ, then you really have no place in business in a place of ministry and leadership in the church. It's time for you to follow. We must all follow before we can ever lead anywhere. And that's his credentials. He's a, he's a fellow elder. He's not the Pope. He's just one of, the, one of the elders. And witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Here's what he says. Same thing Jesus told him. Shepherd the flock of God who is among you, exercising oversight. He said, oversight, not overlook. There's a difference. So many in the pastorate tend to overlook rather than provide oversight. In fact, I've said this several times, and I think you all probably remember it, those of you who have been with us as we've gone through some of these things about the nature of the ministry. But the word for bishop is the word episkopos, and it means episcopus, episcopus. Scopus, of course, means to see, a telescope, a microscope, it, it is a way of looking and seeing. Epi is, to, is the little prefix, it means to intensify. So an episcopus or an episcopos is someone that that looks and oversees and gazes upon intently. It was a technical term used for the person who would make sure that the ship was ready to sail, that everything was on board, that they had all the equipment was working just right, and that everything was there, that it was properly staffed, and that it was ready to go. It was He was an inspector of the minutia. He was a detail man, and he took care of the particulars. And that's the assignment that's given to the pastor, to be an episcopos, an overseer, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I would say to myself and to our pastors, let's keep it in perspective. Let's understand what the Lord wants us to do. And I would say to the flock, follow me as I follow the Lord. That's what Paul said. If I stray, if I wander, if I stop, if I turn back, if I rebel, if I fall, don't follow me. Follow the Lord. Always follow. Remember when we looked at the Good Shepherd passage a few weeks ago, we looked at the passage back in the Old Testament in the, in the book of Ezekiel where the Lord says, I myself will shepherd my people. It is the Lord 
who is our shepherd. All of us. All of us together. Let me ask you as I close, have you... Any chance at all have you identified with Peter in his failing? It's an interesting study in the Bible to study the men that God uses. Because in the Old Testament, often you'd hear about their sins and their failures before you ever heard about the Lord using them. Look at Moses, a murderer. Look at Abraham, a liar and an idolater. Look at David. But it was David that told us about the Lord, the good shepherd, doing what? He restores my soul. 